Marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. Marriage, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. Then love, true love, will follow you forever. So treasure your wife. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Real Talk, a movie podcast. We are your go-to source for ratings and recommendations of past and present films. I am your host, Wes Jones, podcasting from Bowling Green, Kentucky. Hey, this is Tommy, podcasting straight from Nashville, Tennessee. The Movie Buddy Conway, podcasting from Bowling Green, Kentucky. Finish him your way! Oh, good. My way. Thank you, Vinzini. Which was my way? Pick up one of those rocks. Get behind the boulder. In a few minutes, the man in black will come running around the bend. The minute his head is in view, hit it with the rock! My way is not a sportsman. Welcome back, Real Talk community, to a very special Valentine's Day episode. You know what I like to do for these episodes? Snuggle up next to your loved one, get a box of chocolates, light a candle. Both of you share some headphones. Sit down and listen to some real talk. It was voted the number one first date activity by women 20 to 99. Tonight, we're talking the ultimate couple. Who do you ask? Romeo and Juliet? No, peons compared to who we're getting ready to talk about. Rose and Leo from Titanic? Well, Wes would like that. But we can after Rose obviously murdered him by not letting Leo on the raft that was gigantic that she, he clearly could have floated on and just rudely released him into the sea. Now, we're, of course, talking about the ultimate movie love story, Wesley and Buttercup, Princess Bride. Welcome, co-host. Are you, are you excited for this Valentine's Day, uh, Wes? Uh, is this the ultimate movie couple? What are you, how, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing great. You know, this is this movie, you know, came out about 2001. Good coming of age story. We got Anne Hathaway in it. We've got uh, Julie Andrews, you know, from The Sound of Music and The Princess Diaries, man. It's just it's a great movie. I know T-Man's really been a fan of that. He compares it a lot to Mary Poppins. What, Wes, Wes, we're talking Princess Bride tonight. Isn't that what I said? He said Princess Diaries. Oh, okay. All right. Um, well, I don't have any notes for that one, but um, I'm. I mean, I'm doing okay, I guess. Yeah. That's spectacular. Other than that, Princess Diaries. Uh, <laughs> the reason that every time I would type in to like uh, look up more information about uh, the Princess Bride, that stupid movie would always, you know, Google would kind of fill it out for you. Like you, I was going to be searching for the prince's diary. Who the hell is still looking that movie up? I forgot it even existed. Nobody's worried about the prince's diaries. I guarantee and there's not Google a podcast is trying on to uh, shove it down my throat. 
Uh, Wes, you've clearly done the wrong research, and you probably wondered why me and T-Man were so excited for this episode, but I'll let it slide. <laughs> so, I mean, is is Buttercup and Wesley your favorite movie couple, Wes, or is there a different one? No, you've already said it. You know, Kate and Leo, Rose and Jack from Titanic. <laughs> or we could go Reese, Ryan Philippi from Cruel Intentions. They were only a couple for like a day, but I mean... <laughs> What about Still. Jasmine? What about Jasmine and Aladdin? Well, I'm just I just get jealous over that, so I don't <laughs> I don't like them. Like uh, Aladdin, not my guy. Jasmine's my girl. I don't like seeing them together. I understand. I understand. All right. Well, that's enough love talk from Wes. Let's bring in T Man, our ultimate love guru. T Man, how how are things going tonight? Are you excited to talk about the ultimate romance of all time? Hey guys, yeah, love uh, Princess Bride. Actually, Princess Diaries isn't too bad either, so I'd be down for a double feature and a double episode <laughs> if you guys want to do that. So we just do back to back. But yeah, I'm excited for tonight's episode. You know, Princess Bride is really one of my favorite movies of all time, and I've been watching it since I was a kid. I mean, I've pr- this is probably one of my most rewatched movies for sure. So this is going to be a lot of fun. As far as best couples game, is that your question? I'm trying to Best couple, out. yeah. What's the best ultimate Valentine uh, movie like, couple? Gabe, I like when you host because you just go right into the the tough questions. You know, no no yeah. mess around. No yeah. like getting into like what's the greatest next is like what's the greatest movie? What's yeah. the greatest <laughs> So when it comes to best couples of all time, I mean I don't know if they're the best couple in movie history. Because they're really not in the movie together a whole lot, to be honest with you. They're kind of separated most of the time. But they're definitely good. They're memorable. I think it's more about the characters themselves is really good, like separately. But as a couple, it definitely leaves something to be desired. Because like I said, they're really not in the movie a whole lot other than that opening sequence when she's just ordering him around. Like tell him to do stuff. So I don't know how much, you know, when they actually become a couple, you know, say if they ever did a sequel, I mean, I don't know. Are they even going to like each other? I would have liked to see that. (laughs) (laughs) He was just, he hung out at the farm for like a month or two and she bossed him around and then he's gone for five years and they finally wound up being together and the the movie ends. So, I mean, (laughs) yeah, that's true. But I will say. That is pretty realistic for a lot of relationships. So I guess this movie is is uh that, is, that does make it one of the best for sure. Yeah, a lot of realism in this movie for sure. Yeah, well, I just feel I feel like you love this movie so much because Fred Savage is that the kid's name is yeah is Tommy Wood because I mean he's sitting in his little room he's got his little Bears jersey on he doesn't like the kissing scenes but there's kissing scenes in this team man so there's yeah. some. I always fast forward through those. That's good. I can see you doing that. That is me, Gabe. That's a good point. I'm playing my baseball game. I got the Bears, the Cubs on the wall. I don't want the kissing scene. I just want, you know, I'm sick, pretending to be sick. I don't know if he really is. He doesn't even look sick, to be honest with you. So, yeah, he, oh, yeah, he, actually, he looks really cute for, you know, like a 10-year-old kid. Like, he looks very, very fresh-faced. and Precocious. Uh, yes. So, I think he was, he was definitely pulling... Went over on his mom to get him to stay home from school. He pulled that trick where, what is it, in E.T., the, the kid holds the thermometer against the light bulb, which would <laughs> honestly make the temperature like 150 degrees. 
so she would know something was up. Or take but him to the that's ER. probably what he did. Yeah, t- ER. Absolutely. Well, your temp's uh, 127.8. <laughs> your dad. <Absolutely. laughs> and you would think, and you think his dad is Columbo. Let's be honest here. His dad is literally, or his grandpa is literally Columbo, so he could have, you know, figured that out. Slipping already. I mean, and and that was during, wasn't that during while Columbo was still going yeah. strong? Yeah, Peter Falk. I think that was all through the '80s. That's when it was on. So he and was Columbo. Really... He couldn't. He couldn't figure that out, huh? <laughs> he was slipping, right? <laughs> well, guys, you all, you obviously are excited to be on this Princess Bride episode. I've always wanted to do this. Princess Bride is such a good movie because it goes straight from the shrieking eels to the cliffs of insanity to. You know, he's ch- there's a sword fight, then he's chasing after this guy, and then the best battle of the movie happens, the battle of wits. And so when we were talking about this, T-Man was like, man, you've got to have a battle of wits. So for our battle of wits today, first, I'm going to have T-Man go. We're going to pick our favorite characters and then our favorite quote, and that'll have something to do with your team name. So, Tommy, wh- who's your favorite Princess Bride side character? I mean, this is honestly too easy. Like, it's almost, I feel like cheating. He shouldn't even be allowed. But if I had to say who's my favorite character, it's Nego Montoya, you know, uh, the swordsman, the Spaniard. Uh, the Spaniard, Indigo Montoya. Okay, so that's, T-Man is the Indigo Montoyas. And Wes, what is your favorite character? I'm, I'm going to be the Fezix. <laughs> uh, I like the physics. Yeah, you have a physics quality, Wes. I like it. I can see it. <laughs> Let's physic would be a Slytherin. I have a, I have a really Absolutely. good feeling. I never pictured you as a physic. I'm pretty pumped about that, to be honest. <laughs> All right, so Wes, I'll stick on you. What's your favorite Princess Bride quote? Oh, this is a this is a. There were two that I I came down to. It's it's just there's so many great quotes. It's hard to. Hard to pick, but I think I like this one the most, or at least on paper, it makes me laugh the most, is when Buttercup's like, we'll never survive. And Wesley says, nonsense. You're only saying that because no one ever has. <laughs> so I think that, I love that. Okay. I love okay. that lot. Wes's so new life motto, we will never survive. Nonsense. You're only saying that because no one ever has. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I love that. All right. T-Man, what's your favorite Princess Bride quote? So, like Wes said, there are so many great ones. So, I think the one that I love the most, though, because I actually do quote it quite a bit, not the whole part, but just one of the parts, is where they're doing the Battle of the Wits, literally. And he says, uh, I think it's Vizzini that says, you fell victim to one of the classic blunders. The most famous of which is never get involved in a land war in Asia. But only slightly less less no, well known is this: never go no, never go against a Sicilian when death is on the line. T man is the yeah. Good luck Indigo, with that one, Gabe. Yeah, T man is the Indigo Montoya's, and his life motto is never go against the Sicilian when death is on the line. That's <laughs> a good one. Yeah, absolutely. That's what you but live one, your life by. The one I always quote though is never get in a land war in Asia. I'll, I just say that randomly for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I do that a lot actually. I think mine would have been uh, mine would have been uh, uh, Chevy Chase's char- not character, and it would have been uh, Chase. What? John Chevy Chase. Uh, um, Billy oh, Crystal. Billy Crystal. Uh, <laughs> and it would have been what about the R O U S's? I don't believe yeah. they exist. 
I thought, yeah, I thought you, that's a great one. I thought you were going to say the MLTs, mutton, lettuce, and tomato. Yeah, oh, and the one, mutton's just one. right, and the tomato, yeah, yeah. I, I thought about saying that one, but I don't so, know. But anyway, lived, I believe. I want to see, I want to see was. the movie version with Chevy Chase in it. That sounds good. <laughs> that would be hilarious. You know, National they've done Land. all those Princess Bride reenactments over, over the years of different scenes and things like that, and maybe Chevy Chase has been in it, and that's where Gabe oh, got it from. I, I always reversed their names. I don't know why. It's like a roadblock in my head. That's hilarious. Love it. But I knew knew who I was talking about. Sonny, true love is the greatest thing in the world. Except for a nice MLT. Mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich when the mutton is nice and lean and the tomatoes are ripe. They're so perky. I love that. All right. So now it's time to begin the battle of the wits. There is five question, guys. Whoever whoever wins lives. Whoever loses oh. has to drink iocane powder, and they're gonna die. So, do I have the uh, all right? But do we have the uh, you know invulnerability to iocane powder? No, we're gonna do it at the very next. Okay, never mind. We're gonna do it at the very next event. Like uh, I guess the Super Bowl party that we're having at Zach's. Whoever loses has to drink iocane powder. All right. <laughs> wow. Oh, okay. So this is real. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's well, very real. One of us has like four days to live. So, right. uh, well, I wasn't prepared for this, but uh, okay, let's go. Yeah, I'm really regretting getting on this episode now. Yeah. Uh, all right. Say we're not dedicated to the podcast. <laughs> Question number one How dead is Wesley when he mostly gets dead. through Miracle Max? Oh, there's and mostly dead. All right, I'll give that one to Tommy. Question number one. All right. Question number two. Okay. What was Andre the Giant's response to the rhyme? No more rhymes, and I mean it. Anybody want a peanut? <laughs> okay, that one's to Wes. <laughs> one to one. What country do they claim to have found Andre the Giant? A- Greenland. Greenland. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Two to one. Who was the Dread Pirate Roberts before Wesley? Oh, crap. I don't know. Mark. That's the double miss. Ryan. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Dang it. I knew it was just something like something very. That was my hard one. I, I love that name, though. Ryan. Anyway. <laughs> Finish the name. The Cliffs of Blank. Insanity. All right. Two to two. All right. I'm going to have to pick a lightning round question now that it's two to two. All right, I'm going with this. What does R O U S stand for? Rats of Rodents of unusual size. Ah, uh, Wes got it. I said rats. Uh, it's rodents of unusual size. Wes is by technicality. All right. Well, Wes officially lives. T Man drinks Iocane powder at our next event. Here's the thing, Gabe. I forgot to mention, I'm not going to be there. So. <laughs> Is it because it's a soup herbal party? Or no, it's because you're gonna try to kill me. Oh yeah, that's a good reason. (laughs) I I was actually gonna come, but now I've I've changed my mind. I don't know why I like to have you guys compete against each other in my episodes. I I don't know why that's a thing that I do, but maybe I maybe I'll take that away for next episode. But Wes is doing pretty good. And honestly, T Man, I thought you were gonna destroy him on that one. And you came close. I think you said Dave or something instead of instead of Ryan. Um 
Plus, all right. rats of unusual size instead of rodents. Yeah. Gabe is, every time Gabe gets the host, he becomes Joaquin Phoenix in Gladiator. He's just <laughs> yeah. sitting up there, just like watching, you know, people try to like kill each other in trivia. I don't. I don't know. It's just something very sinister about it. That is true. I never thought about that. We literally do trivia every time Gabe hosts. Maybe I secretly (laughs) want to be a game show host like Mark Summers or something. That's possible. I could see you as the game show host. I really could. Yeah. This is my way of living out that fantasy and forcing people to listen. Try to bring back Legends of the Hidden Temple. You're the new host. Man, Shrine of the Silver Monkey. Fantastic show. All right. (laughs) So, guys, I'm going to... I'm going to give you a brief history of Princess Bride, but I'm going to do it in my own buddy way where I talk about buddy facts. But I'm going to try to incorporate some Westness in it. The Princess Bride, 1987 fantasy romance film. It's uh, co-produced by Rob Rayner, starring Carrie Yules, Robin Wright, Mandy Patinkin, Chris Sarden, Andre the Giant, adapted by a William Goldman novel from 1973, The Princess Bride. It also is one of the first appearances of Fred Savage. You probably recognize him from the Wonder Years. I want to introduce some buddy facts about this movie. It was originally William Goldman wrote this novel, The Princess Bride, in 1973 for his two daughters that were seven and four at the time. Makes me feel really useless because I almost have a seven and four year old and I haven't written crap. It's a heck of a story. Both the director and the leading man already uh, knew the story and loved the story before filming ever began. Carrie Yule's stepfather gave him Goldman's book in 1975. The actor was just 13 years old, and Goldman had it in his 20s and had read it several times before the movie had ever began. Fun fact number two. For a long time, no one was able to make the movie, but and in one of the... Previous adaptations, I know Wes can picture this. Picture this. Fezzik was supposed to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now, wouldn't, yeah. Arnold, wouldn't Arnold be a good Fezzik? Or can you imagine Arnold as, as Fezzik? It's hard. You know, once <laughs> when a movie becomes literally, like, iconic, it's almost hard to imagine another actor stepping in and playing a character. I do think Arnold would probably be funny because as he showed later, uh, in his career, I mean, he d- he does have a little bit of comedic chops to him. Obviously, sometimes much more funny when he's not meaning to be. <laughs> but, yeah, I just think Andre was perfect for it. And I, I think Andre did. He did great. And it was it's really funny. That's why he like every line. I know he doesn't have very many, but every line he says during the movie makes me laugh. I completely agree, Wes. And he's my favorite part of the whole movie. But. There's a fun fact about that, too. Andre the Giant had an unconventional method for learning his lines. He read his three-page scene and couldn't understand one word Reiner recalled. And so he was trying to figure out, what am I going to do? This guy can't read his lines out loud. So he recorded the entire part that he wanted to play on tape and had somebody act it out. And then he would watch it and mimic that because he wasn't capable of reading the lines out loud. So it's funny that you say that. That's probably why he didn't have very many. Um, mm-hmm. last fun buddy fact for, to introduce the princess broad, Andre, the giant could really drink three, <laughs> bo- or hold on three bottles of cognac and 12 bottles of Ron reportedly just made him a little tipsy. 
When the cast would go out to dinner, Andre, who, according to Robin Wright, would order four appetizers, five entrees, and would drink a 40-ounce beer pitcher filled with a mix of liquors, a concoction he called the American. (laughs) Yeah, there's a, a really good documentary on HBO about Andre the Giant. And they do kind of cover because he was an an alcoholic, and they they talk about like the famous sitting where he supposedly drinks like 120 something beers in like one sitting. Uh, it's just incredible. But whenever you're 500 plus pounds and you're you're seven four, you know that's not. I mean, it, it obviously is a, a crap load of beer, but at the same point in time, it's not like a six one two hundred pounder like myself is is doing something like that. It is a I was about to say freaking nature. That's kind of mean, but a real giant uh, doing it. I think that's actually quite insane that he he could drink that much, and you'd have to be an alcoholic at that point. But man, I love him so. Uh, I wish he was still around. Um, last thing, I w- last fun fact for Buddy. I know I said last one, but I have one more. Sean, who played the Sicilian was actually very intelligent. He did have a dizzling intellect. Apparently I don't. Dizzying intellect. And uh, (laughs) he has a history degree from Harvard, and he studied philosophy and economics at Oxford. So he is actually quite intelligent. He probably would win a land battle in Asia. Well, guys, that's all the fun facts and the, the battle for the intro to Princess Bride. It's a movie I care a lot about. I am going to now introduce the key phrase to win a copy of the Princess Bride. What's the uh, what's the type of what is it called? What's the copy called, Wes? <laughs> Stars <laughs> and Stripes. Uh, Stars and Stripes magazine. No, that's not it. Y'all are <laughs> making official up Department of Defense uh, magazine for all of our military members, and we are a pro-military podcast. We love all of our <laughs> military members. Oh, uh, the 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 no. What's it called? Just say it, Wes. It's uh. So, listeners, gonna... what what we're doing in support of the Princess Bride is we're giving away a Criterion Criterion Blu-ray version of the movie, which uh, I think for a lot of cinephiles they they know that Criterion is they do top of the line stuff. That's awesome that they did one of their editions on Princess Bride. So you're gonna get you know about the best version of the film that you can get a hold of with tons of special features and things like that. So, hit it, Gabe. What what do the listeners need to message us on any social media, our email, wherever? What is the phrase they need to email us to be put into the drawing for this Criterion Blu-ray? And it's the first one that sends it in, correct, Wes? No, we're going to do a drawing. Oh, drawing, sorry. Yeah, we'll do a drawing for it. So, everyone that sends us the... The phrase Gabe's about to say, we're going to put you in for a drawing. We'll wait about a week or so after the episode is released to see how many that we get. Then we'll do a drawing, a little video drawing, and then we're going to send you that copy of the film. All right. The phrase is, as you wish. As you wish. Very nice. Didn't go with anything too complex there. But yeah, send it in, email it. Uh, I, 
you pro- how how do you want them to send it? Because if somebody puts it on Facebook, then everybody could just copy it. Well, no, they just need to message us on social media. So you can message us on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. You can email it to us if you know us personally. Text it to us, whatever you want to do, and we'll we'll keep up with everybody and put in for the drawing. All right, and now a word from our advertiser. Earth is looking for other life. Starship Journeyer has been recalled, only to be captured by the Ubide alien race of incredible intellect and ally of the Dirths, our carnivorous yet intelligent reptilian race. Captain Cage was abducted. Crew members Eva Cusping and Enrico Dalchez were caught between two warring kingdoms. Captain Cage and Eva Cusping discover a secret about themselves. One will feel rage, the other enlightenment. Humans and other races go on a desperate journey while relentlessly hunted. Are we alone in the universe? Is there a god? What does the future hold? Do you really want to know? You just heard the YouTube trailer for author Stephen Couch's epic sci-fi book series, Shadowed Stars. If you're a regular listener of Real Talk, you've heard a lot about Shadowed Stars. You know that book one, Shadowed Stars, and book two, The Reign of the Black Guard, are available now. But great news, because book three, Children of Home, is coming soon. And we'll be talking with Stephen about book three on an upcoming episode of our interview series. For those of you who are new to Shadowed Stars, head over to ShadowedStarsBooks.com. You'll be able to get the latest information on the series, learn more about author Stephen Couch, read his short stories, and find direct links to purchase the books. Again, that's ShadowedStarsBooks.com. And speaking of books, Stephen has eight numbered books planned in the series, with more unnumbered ones to follow. And I love what Stephen is doing with the characters, as there are different characters between the odd and even-numbered books, with some cameos mixed in. This keeps the story arcs fresh and the pages turning. Keep in mind, Shadowed Stars is for a mature audience with mature themes, which is different from most of the stories you get in the sci-fi and fantasy realm. So, are we alone in the universe? Is there a God? What does the future hold? There's only one way to find out. Go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes Store, wherever you get your books, and start your journey into the Shadowed Stars universe. All right. Hello. Oh, am, am I like I? My bad. Am I supposed to like go now? Or yeah, I figured. Oh, I, well, I can. And now Wes is gonna uh, lead us on this walkthrough. I didn't know if I needed to say that. Oh, actually, oh, actually, oh, you know what? Whatever you wanna do. I don't know. We should probably should have talked about that transition. Man, you're going to leave this in there, aren't you? All right, so now uh, I guess we're going to do a typical walk through the movie like we normally do. I, I don't know. What do I say here for the transition? No, no, it's 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 fine. No, this is it, it's always good to leave our blunders in there. So we um, we didn't we didn't discuss this. So I'm going to take responsibility as well. But <laughs> <laughs> audience, so what what we're going to do now is. A lot of times when we do these one-off movies, we kind of approach it in a couple ways. Sometimes we'll talk about just aspects of the film, 
and in different categories. And sometimes we do walkthroughs, but The Princess Bride is such a fun movie that we thought that we would walk through the movie. And we've got six sequences, which are just several scenes that we've kind of crammed together. And obviously there's going to be massive spoilers as we're walking through the movie. Of course, The Princess Bride came out in 1987. So I think most everybody has probably seen it. But if you haven't and you don't want it to be ruined, then this would be a good time to turn the episode off, watch The Princess Bride, and then come back and finish things up. So, uh, do anybody, I wanted to say before we start going through the sequences, is there anything that else that we wanted to kind of talk about preliminary with with the film at all? I mean, one thing I thought that I would I would mention, for example, is just on Rob Reiner, who is the director, which Gabe mentioned. Uh, it doesn't really have anything to do with the walkthrough, but man, what a run that he had to really start off his filmography. So he started in This Is Spinal Tap. He then did in 1985 The Sure Thing, which I haven't seen. Gabriel T. Man, y'all may have seen that movie before. But then he did Stand By Me, The Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, Misery, and A Few Good Men. He did all of those movies in eight years. I mean, that, that is and I was unaware of that until I really dug in. And he really didn't have very much yeah. after that, but what an incredible run. Why is she not reading my text? I've texted that to you guys several times. That Oh, whoops. I'm writers had an amazing, like, he had one of the best 80s, like, early 90s run ever. And you just said it right there. Because, you know, I've always been a big Rob Reiner fan, and uh, that run is just Incredible. I think when Harry Met Sally, that's probably my favorite romantic comedy. So I'm a big fan of that movie. Princess Bride, huge fan of that. A few Good Men, a huge fan of that. And then what's really weird about him is then he did um, that movie, I think it's called North in 95. And it all kind of just fell apart after that. Like he kind of mm-hmm. just didn't ever reach those heights again. And it kind of just goes to, you know, sometimes directors can just be on a, such a hot run and then they just kind of can never get it back but you know it's pretty amazing that the guy from all in the family i believe he was just a side character I, and this is before my time but i believe his character's name was maybe like meatloaf or something i don't even know mm-hmm. I'll have to yeah i think you're i think you're pretty close there and then and then he became you know an a-list movie director so pretty incredible career by all uh rob what'd you call him gabe rob reiner <laughs> Rob Reiner, I think. I think I read it wrong. Pretty, you know, I can't read or write. Rob Reiner there. And also, the types of films that he did, there were so many in there. You had a romantic Did he do comedy. Stand By Me? Yeah, you had a... I mean, that's insane. He did Stand By Me and Princess Bride. Aren't they, like, only about, like, two years apart? One year. Oh, yeah, my yeah. God. They, only back to, they were released back-to-back years. And then you've got Misery out of nowhere, which is completely different than anything else that he did, you know, during this time. And then you come in with one of the best, I, I was going to say courtroom dramas, but in my opinion, one of the best dramas, period. Um, yeah. One of my all-time favorite movies, A Few Good Men. Like, it's just, man, he was on a roll. Uh, there None of those while. movies feel the same either. Like, I mean, that's impressive. No, a lot yeah. of range that he had. It was, like, I was super impressed to see that. And they were all released within eight years. Hmm. It's the type of thing that just really can't be done anymore. First of all, they don't really make movies that like he does. You know, the movies, types of movies he makes, Hollywood really doesn't make anymore, which is sad. Uh, but also, movies just take longer. 
to make and they're just much bigger you know a lot of his movies are just kind of smaller you know this movie right here i looked up as like a 15 million dollar budget of course you add in inflation it'd be higher but it's still not a huge budget misery is a smaller movie uh, a few good men's a courtroom drama uh, you know spinal tap none of these movies are massive movies but they just hold up so well and like you guys said they you know they kind of cross between genres which is pretty cool mm-hmm but yeah, I mean, musicians go through the same thing. Athletes, all this, you know, they have they have this spectacular run and, you know, athletes' bodies kind of fall apart. I don't know what it is with musicians. It always tends to be when they stop taking drugs. But whatever the situation is, they just kind of lose I, those creative well, juices and it's hard to get them back. I've always thought, you know, most people only have a finite amount of time to, to be creative. It just depends on the person, I think. Movie directors... They can usually last longer than most creative people, but still usually not super long. I mean, only the very rare few can last, you know, into their 60s or 70s. T-Man, mm-hmm. when's our time up? Well, hey, I was about to say, just think I, of how bad our episodes are going to be. Man, like you guys wouldn't years. let me finish my joke. Oh, oh no. dang it. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, well, now it's Rose. <laughs> well... <laughs> Now all of our minds are melting together. I had this whole setup, and it was going to be good, guys. It was going to be real good. Oh, man. I hate our mind meld. Ruins all of our jokes. Sometimes, just let me finish my thought. A lot of times my jokes are big lead-in jokes, like I'm planning on something, but maybe next time I'll be able to do it. So we'll just we'll just creep to the edge of our seat and just stay silent. We'll we'll wait for the wait for the yeah. punch line. Exactly. That's yeah. That's that's perfect. That's that's what I want, guys. You <laughs> me talking. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to mention that that was just one of my notes, and I did, I mean I, I guess I could have thrown it in there, but since we were about to do the walkthrough, I was like I don't know if that really fits, so I wanted to throw that out there. About what's his name again? Gabe Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner. Reiner. Cool. Well, cool. I'm about to butcher some names as we go through this walkthrough, so I can't I can't say much. So. All right, we'll we'll start our the Princess Bride walkthrough and sequence one here. We're gonna open with a framing story as grandfather, played by Peter Falk, reads his favorite book to his sick grandson, played by Fred Savage, titled The Princess Bride. And I typed the note The Princess Bridge here. Mm. So I don't know why I kept wanting to throw that G in there. Anyway. We then jump into the book where Buttercup falls in love with the farmhand Wesley, played by Carrie Ulls, who always uses the line, as you wish, hint audience for that Blu-ray, when tending to her. He has to leave on a journey, and word gets back that he's later been killed by pirates. Years later, she agrees to marry Prince Humperdinck, played by Chris Sarandon, I really like that guy. He plays such a great villain. Uh, one of my all-time favorite horror movies. Uh, he's the vampire Jerry. Uh, of course, that's a great vampire name in Fright Night. But anyway, she is kidnapped on the eve of her wedding by Vinzini, the Sicilian, Wallace Shawn, Fezzik the Giant, Andre the Giants, and Ingo Montoya, Mandy Paddington where they carry her off in a boat to the Cliffs of Insanity. So that's kind of our opening and the setup for Prince's Bride. And gentlemen, what what do you guys think about this setup for the film? The part at the beginning really bugs me, Wes, because, I mean, think about if you were Fred Savage. You're sitting there. You've lied about being sick. You're in your sanctuary of sickness. 
playing your Nintendo in the 80s, which was like the best thing you could ever be doing, then Grandpa busts in, ruins your whole thing, and says he's going to read you a freaking story on your Nintendo day? That's your sanctuary. That's your only day off. That's the only way that your mom can't force you to go outside, and Grandpa ruins that. Does anybody else feel like that way about Grandpa? <laughs> Didn't really creep into my mind, um, no, but um, <laughs> maybe not, our minds haven't quite melded all the way. You guys didn't get pumped when you were sick because there was no way your mom could make you go outside and you got to play Nintendo all day? Oh, maybe just me. <laughs> it's too long ago, Gabe. I can't remember my childhood at this point. <laughs> Take that joke back. Why was he wearing a suit? Let's go with that. <laughs> uh, never mind. Nobody said Columbo, he was Columbo. Man, he's out solving crimes, Gabe. Yeah. Columbo. I saw right through that. I knew. I mean, he just, he, and cause they just call him grandpa. They don't say like grandpa in his name. I mean, that was grandpa Columbo. Yeah, that was absolutely Columbo for sure. But I do think this opening is, is just so great. It's like a metafictional. I think it's from the actual book from my understanding is they, they actually took that opening from the book where they had the, the grandfather and the son reading the story. Really? It's such a cool way to do it. Very kind of brings you into this, like you know right off the bat that you're not in for like a typical story. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, yeah, I, I love that opening sequence. I always have. And then getting into, you know, the actual story of it. And then what is Fred Savage's line? He's like, wait a minute, is this a kissing book? <laughs> yeah, he says that. Like, is this a kissing part? Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that always kills me. I love it. I like movies that, and not a lot of them do this, and of course it takes a, a special type of film in order to to do it properly, but I love these framing stories. Like I like how they are kind of telling the story, and then they go into the story, and then they, right. they, they come back and have little clips throughout, or like you just said, you know, he the narrator or the narrators can kind of bust in at certain points and then say something that obviously the characters that were, we're watching inside the story they don't hear or acknowledge. I just think it's a cool way to tell a story, especially a fantasy story like this. So, no, I'm, I'm in complete agreement there. I, I think do it's like a it. proper way to do it. I do like it, how he interjects, is this a kissing book? Because you guys remember when you were kids and you were watching a movie with your parents and, like, they'd start kissing and you'd be like, ugh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fast forward. I still do that. Fast or, forward. <laughs> or you get, like, uncomfortable. Like, you'd just be like, oh, I don't want to watch. You know, you'd, like, leave the room. Maybe that was just me. What? No, no. I think a lot of, I think a lot of people, if they're watching, even what as type? a kid, with something with your parents in there, people start making, making out, out or something. It, what type of movies know. are you watching with your parents, Gabe? <laughs> just normal <laughs> movies. Just, Paris? It just, just, there's making out in, like, all kinds of movies. There's, you know, The Fox and the Hound and all those Gabe movies. That, all Mom and Dad, y'all watch Basic Instinct tonight? <laughs> I, I swear, I was sitting. I was gonna say that Gabe's like watching those erotic thrillers around his parents <laughs> when he's a kid. <laughs> oh my goodness! We're gonna have to get your parents, Jack and Patty, on here to talk about the movies y'all were watching as a family. <laughs> they all hung out and watched Barbed Wire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pamela Anderson movie. Yeah. Uh, Amazing showgirls. We didn't we didn't predict it. We didn't know there was going to be like nakedness in showgirls. So you know we just <laughs> sat there. Uh, what's that movie with Tom Cruise and um, 
I always forget it. It's another one of those. Uh, it's Tom. Shut. Yeah, eyes wide shut. Yeah, we just got eyes wide shut. We didn't know what we got. No. Turns out they were kissing books. Uh, so we had to get out of there. What sequence? What? When does the sequence says? I want to make sure I got the right part. I just kind of I cut it off as they're arriving at the cliffs of insanity. Right. Yeah, I think uh, so. Yeah, I'm glad we can get into the actual story. Also, is like. You know, the, the intro is really good with the music. I always love the music in this mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. I yeah, read that it's, it was, yeah, from one of the members of Dire Straits, which was actually pretty interesting. Pretty good band from the 80s. And so you can tell it has a kind of a different type of vibe to it for sure. But I think the movie really picks up. And, and I really think, honestly, the movie kind of peaks during this whole long segment with the three kind of outlaws mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. buttercup and then going into the close of insanity. And then there's going to be even more after that. So yeah, this is really getting it. Even though it's early in the movie, it's really, you know, this is as good as a movie can be in this first 30 minutes. Really? Yeah. I, I, I like the flow. I like how it's like, you know, that's nonstop action. And even like the silliness is fun. Like the uh-huh. shrieking eels. Shrieking Ill sounds like silly, but I mean, I think it adds to the movie. The Cliffs of Insanity, like even like oh, the Cliffs of Insanity sound cool. But then like having Andre the Giant pull two people up, he's he's just one guy. <laughs> I'm pulling two so, people. The amount, yeah, exactly. And the amount of quotes. I mean, just in this sequence right here, we haven't even gotten to the duel yet. But there's so many great one liners and so many great just little comedy bits just in this part. Wes uh, got it in my game show. Anybody want a peanut? <laughs> that rhyming game that they do is so stupid. But for some reason, I laugh so hard every single time. Oh, it's great. Yeah, this whole sequence is good. I was just going to th- say, does anybody, like, I don't know if I should t- say this or not, but does anybody think it's wrong? That the, why not? You, I, sh- I should say it? Yeah, why like, not? Okay. <laughs> what could go does wrong? <laughs> Okay, nothing makes a woman fall in love with someone like having them as your servant for your whole life than just to ask them to marry him to become a servant for the rest of your life. Should I say, should I I shouldn't have said Uh, that? I was mistaken. (laughs) I I was mistaken. (laughs) (laughs) What could go wrong? Well, literally everything. (laughs) I didn't know Gabe would get into uh, human, uh, you know, servitude there. Probably we eradicated hundreds of years ago, but okay. Yeah, and I should have got my thought out because I kind of had a serious thought. And then, as I've said before on the, this podcast, it's like I, I wait and go after Gabe, and then it's just I get all thrown off. Let me try another so. one. Was, was Buttercup <laughs> raised in a Ricola commercial? Ricola. There you go. That's a good one, Gabe. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> and you've totally redeemed yourself. Just not with the women. Um, listening. Yeah. I don't mean it. I, I, it was a joke. Uh, it was terrible. Can we edit that out? <laughs> I mean, we can. I don't know if we will. Yeah, I think it's got to stay. I think it's gotta... <laughs> All right, Wes, I won't be serious. Well, I, well, I mean, we can get on to sequence number two. But the one thing I did want to say, especially with the framing story of how it's set up, is just be serious just for a moment is, you know, the movie The Princess Bride itself has now aged enough so that those who grew up with the film, we now have kids. Mm-hmm. And they're the same age 
as we were watching the movie and, you know, as when we started watching the movie. So in effect, we're now passing down this story to them, which is kind of the whole point of the film and what's being set up in, in the framing story here. I just think that that's just such a cool, a, a cool thing. And <clears throat> parents who would show their kids the Princess Bride even then were doing the same thing. But I really like how it's kind of shaken out now that the movie's old enough where we're literally doing what they're doing in the movie, like the point of it. And because this is like this is a fantasy story. And I was like, well, like, what are the origins of 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 fantasy stories like this? This oral tradition of of passing down stuff to generations Telling stories to your kids. Yeah. And it, yeah, it is. Or, you know, just stories from generation to generation. And of course, with fantasies, they start with fairy tales. The origin of stories like Beauty and the Beast and Rumpelstiltskin, they're like 4,000 years old, which is like the Bronze Age. And I thought that was kind of crazy. I just thought it was kind of cool that that's what The Princess Bride ultimately is about, is that generational storytelling that's been going on, you know, since humans were around. That Listen, we're literally going to be doing the same thing with our kids with with the film. So Look, I don't we've, know. Met, I we've messed cool. a lot of things up in our generation, but if we achieve anything... It's that thousands of years from now, people are talking about the shrieking eels, the R.O.U.S., the cliffs <laughs> exactly. of insanity, never fight a Sicilian, you know, and it, when death is on the line. If people are saying those things million, thousands of years from now, then we've accomplished something good in the 90s. There you go. In the 80s. And the, I mean, 80s. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Crystal Pepsi. Anyway, T-Man, if you want to come in and make fun of me for that take, go like go for it. But I don't know. I just thought it was kind of just kind of a cool thing. No, make I won't make fun of you this time. I'll I'll save it for next time. But no, I think I think uh, yeah, I think the whole point of this movie is about uh, you know bonding with your you know your child or your grandchild that type of thing. That's really why William Goldman wrote the book, I believe, is for. Like you all, I think, gave you mentioned seven and four year old, yeah, for yeah, from his daughter, and so I think that's kind of what they're doing with the movie. So, yeah, it was a good point for sure. Inconceivable, 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 inconceivable. You keep using the word, I don't think it means what you think it means. This sequence open. So, the kidnappers start scaling the cliff of uh, insanity. And a masked man in black starts to pursue them. Montoya, a superb swordsman, waits for the man in black and challenges him to a sword fight once they reach the top. The man in black wins and also finds out that Montoya is looking for a man with six fingers who killed his father. Next, the man in black catches up with Fezzik and they engage in a fight where the man in black chokes him unconscious in a funny scene. And then finally, the man in black catches up with Vinzini and Princess Buttercup, where they engage in a battle of wits, where eventually Vinzini poisons himself. So there's a lot going on in sequence two here, but you really get the encounter uh, with the man in black with each of the kidnappers in kind of a funny way. So I want to lump these three battles together and what sticks out here to you guys. First of all, if you're climbing up a cliff, uh, with on a rope you never go you never go face to face with another man because that's awkward i mean really what sticks out to me here is that that sword fight like i think it's an incredible sword fight 
And I'm not even joking. Like for this kind of semi humorous movie where they talk yeah, about not awesome. being not being left handed and I forgot how good the sword fight was. Did you mention in your I don't know, I can't remember if you mentioned in your when you're talking about the movie, uh you know, how much the two actors trained for that fight. They trained weeks on end. It was like months, I thought. I thought that they studied like like swordsmanship because none of them had any experience. Right. And this was before the age of, you know, CGI, you know, CG and all that. You know, you could tell there's some body doubles. For a couple uh, shots, but for the majority of that of that you know duel, it's those two actors, which is pretty incredible because it is an awesome duel and it, it's so good. It's long, like I forgot how good it was. I was like cheering in the middle of it, and you know, if sure. sword fighting gets boring, you know, there's an uneven bar routine right in the middle. Yeah. So like right. <laughs> for both of them, I love it because you know they they switch hands, they. Uh, you know, they're talking about the type of fighting that they're doing or the type of, you know, sword fighting they're doing, which is actually legit sword fighting. I know those those different types that they were doing. And then the end, which is really good. And the music, like I know I mentioned that earlier, but the music highlighting different aspects of the fight is really, really well done. And then one thing, you know, this sequence I think really shows, and you'll see it throughout the movie, is like kind of the on-purpose artificiality of it. It's kind of fake, but fake on purpose. I'm also not left-handed. Like they're right. joking about being left-handed. Like, well, there's that. But I'm talking about like really more kind of like the set. You see that throughout the movie. Like everything's kind of heightened artificiality. Mm-hmm. Like it's not all real. But that kind of goes and serves the purpose of the actual movie and the plot. Because this is you know an irreverent you know take on a fairy tale. So mm-hmm. it has that kind of sheen of artificiality and not quite real. That's what they're going for. So, like, that sequence, like, you can tell they're on a set. Mm-hmm. But it works. Yes. No, it does. And it's that's just such a hard thing to pull off. And I don't know how they do it, but for sure. it just works. And I texted you guys the other day, and I said, you know, this movie hasn't aged. And I really don't think it has, because the way that they designed it, costumes and the set and everything, it's like how... It's supposed to look like this. It doesn't exactly. look like right. it's of its age. It just looks like it looks like a fantasy. It's and, hard to pull off a movie too that's funny, but not like too corny all the way through. But it's also kind of serious. But also like like T Man saying with set pieces that are funny. I don't know. It's like the perfect combination. What Tommy was saying, like all the animated movies just have all funny characters in it. These are all funny characters but they're not like trying to be i don't know it's just not ever duplicated well it's it kind of goes back to william goldman's whole conceit of it which is you know you know i don't know if you guys ever watched rocky and bullwinkle the the old animated yeah a little bit a little bit yeah yeah and do you all remember i don't know if you all remember the fractured fairy tales that they had yes within yeah within rocky and bullwinkle and this always reminds me of those fractured fairy tales where it's Mm -hmm. like you're taking an old piece of some type of fairy tale, like you were saying, Wes, those old, very old fairy tales, those oral traditions that we handed down from generation to generation, and then kind of made them current humor, made them, you know, sarcasm, adding all that stuff. So I think that's kind of what this is going for, also. It just doesn't age because it's so it, it's in on the joke. I think mm-hmm. that's kind of the thing. Like it it knows that it's what it's doing. No, I think that's a great point. 
and it has truly great one-liners. Oh, yeah, it, it does. It's very dry. It's very dry. For sure. It doesn't work if it's not as funny as it is. And man, it is funny. I mean, like it, we could just go to we can go to the next scene, you know. Have you ever heard of Plato, Aristarchus, <laughs> Socrates? <Jesus>. Morons. <laughs> yeah, morons. <laughs> oh, I mean, that's good. The movie almost suffers because while Sean is so good in it for like the first 30 minutes, you're like, <laughs> oh man, you almost wish he was still in the movie at least coming back. Inconceivable. <laughs> Every yeah, time I, he like catches one, inconceivable. I mean, that's honestly, well, other than you killed my father, inconceivable is probably the second most famous mm-hmm. quote from the movie. I will say I think the battle with I will say I think the battle with Fezzik is the worst of the <laughs> by a long shot. I mean, all he does is like throw rocks at him, <laughs> and he talks well, about how he doesn't exercise, and he's like, it's very different from fighting ten men fighting one. And yeah. well, there's a reason for that too. And I was gonna I was actually gonna mention that in this particular scene because Rob Reiner he thought for sure, well, I've got a wrestler we'll be able to create a pretty good fight scene here between you know Wesley and Fezzik. And Andre was still, of course, wrestling during this time, but he had had major back surgery and he could not lift anything. I mean, they're, they do all kinds of stuff throughout the film to, I mean, even when Buttercup, I think when he's carrying her, or she's on his back. I, I can't remember which scene that was. I mean, she's on suspended cables at that point. He could not, he could yeah. barely well, lift Wes, himself. You can tell that in the fight, like they do several cuts, and it's not Andre the Giant. Yeah, yeah. There's like, a... <laughs> I never noticed that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's pretty obvious for a couple scenes. It's not him, and you're like, man, Andre the Giant needed a body double. What's going on here? But right, like you were saying, Wes, he had awful back issues during this whole shoot. And I think he recovered a little bit because he continued to wrestle, and um, you know, even Hulk Hogan said that. I think at WrestleMania three, you know, there was they didn't even know going into the fight because Andre the Giant was undefeated in wrestling for like 15 years, which it's fake. But at the same point in time, Andre really decided what was going to happen because he was so strong as this gigantic man. He could do whatever he wanted. And the other wrestlers were really at his mercy and going into the fight or into the match. Hogan really had no clue whether Andre was really going to let him win or not. And so, you know, Vince McMahon and them, they took a big chance by, you know, trying to script out that Hogan was going to win. And, you know, Andre allowed him to pin him. But that was just such a he's just just such a, a massive, strong guy. It was just amazing to me that just a couple of years later, here it is. He can't even lift, you know, like a hundred and fifteen pound girl at that particular time. That's how run down he was just a few years later. It's sad. But I think he did recover. Uh, pretty well because he went back to wrestling for a while before his untimely death. Do you guys think the Battle of Wits is the most iconic scene in the whole movie? Because I think you're right, T-Man. The rest of the movie suffers without the uh, Sicilian. I think, yeah, I think this whole sequence is is the best part of the movie, for for me at least, for sure. It's my favorite, these three little, you know, battles. And I do think it's the best sequence in the movie, for sure. Well, there's the most iconic. Um, I'm not sure. Hard to say. There, there's some other famous ones, but it probably is, I would think. Man, that Chevy Chase scene is real good. Yeah, that's uh, in the deleted scenes, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, whenever about? he's uh, he's stapling the lights on top of the house. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. I love that scene. 
I do love that. I do love the everything with the cane powder and the the you know when they're switching the cups and he's trying to say you would not put it near me and I just I don't know I I love that whole section. It's really great. It's really great, and they have really good scenery in this. I think I don't know where they shot. I think it was in Ireland or Scotland, England. Mm-hmm. One of one of those United. I think Kingdom. they shot in all those locations you just said. Yeah, let's just say that United Kingdom, Northern yeah. Europe, Europe. Let's just say that, <laughs> just to be safe. <laughs> uh, Earth, Earth. Let's just be safe. But yeah, really good uh, locations in that whole sequence where they're the hills and the mountains and stuff. I really, I like all that. You fell victim to one of the classic blunders. The most famous is never get involved in a land war in Asia, but only slightly less well-known is this. Never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. (laughs) At first, the man in black reveals himself to be the pirate who killed Wesley. Infuriated, she pushes him down a hill, which he says, as you wish, and then realizing the man in black is actually Wesley, she tumbles down after him. She then learns his story (laughs) and why he hid his identity. Prince Humperdinck and his posse are also in hot pursuit of the princess. However, we find out that Prince Humperdinck is wanting an excuse to go to war with Gilder, the neighboring uh, country, so he arranged the kidnapping of Buttercup himself. When he and his posse arrive, Buttercup and Wesley flee into the fire swamp. In the fire swamp, they battle rodents of unusual size, lightning, sand, and flames shooting out of the ground. Actually, they battle lightning sand. Uh, Didn't need the comma there. Uh, They're eventually captured (laughs) by Humperdinck's posse, and Buttercup makes a deal that she'll marry Humperdinck in exchange for Wesley's freedom. However, Humperdinck leaves Wesley with his right-hand man, Count Rugen, with no intention of holding up his end of the bargain. So it sounds like there's a whole lot going on there in uh, sequence three, but it's really just where they go through the forest. But we also wanted to throw in a little bit about how the plot is developing behind the scenes. Plot is thickening. What's our thoughts on sequence three? After that fantastic trilogy of sequences, them falling down that hill is the most ridiculous thing. Like I <laughs> crack so up. Strange. Like she start, he starts <laughs> falling down, and then she start, and then she like he's saying "as you wish," which I love. But then she just throws herself down the hill, and the mo- and just look like rag dolls. I don't know. It just cracks me up every time. Um, I I I, uh, I mean, this is my favorite sequence. This is where you meet the Rous's, which I don't believe they exist still. And, uh, <laughs> be careful, Gabe. You're about to immediately get attacked. That's yeah. what's so funny about that. Which like, I love this sequence so much because, like I was saying earlier, like it's so fake. The whole thing, the set is so fake. It's really well done, but it's obviously like a set. Then the Road, you know, R O U S is are obviously people in outfits. <laughs> and it's just it's like, so that obvious. battle it's with so him and the mouse. Obvious, <laughs> but it still works for some reason. Just because of the tone they're going for, you know that it's like it's a comedy. You know, it doesn't have to be super realistic, but it's still it, it just it almost makes it funnier in that way. Yeah, it looks like he's fighting like a Chuck E. Cheese rat doll. Yeah. On an on the aggro crag, oh. and I'm still like really intrigued. And that mount, that rat versus 
Wesley battle lasts a lot longer than I remembered. Yeah, he burns them and stabs them. It, it, it's a pile of things. You got to feel bad for the person inside the outfit. <laughs> I, I do also like the side twist that none of the real Dread Pirate Roberts are the real, or, or, or the real Dread Pirate. The real Dread Pirate is the name, the Dread Pirate. Right. There's like Ryan which, and Steve. <laughs> which is such a, that's like a perfect, perfect example of kind of what we've been talking about with this like irreverent tone and the fractured fairy tale type satire slash homage it is such a perfect thing that you can use like oh that would make perfect sense and it would be like ryan who did (laughs) (laughs) there was also something i read um i think it was on mental floss where i got all my other stuff um like where Carrie Yules did want to jump into quicksand head first, like he really dreamed of it. But that quicksand scene is like, that's the quickest sand I've ever seen. I mean, they're just like, it like sucks her down like instantly. <laughs> it's just some strange quicksand. Well, that I, when I rewatched it, cause I just rewatched it not too long. Like I was, I was wondering how they actually did that sequence with the sand because he does di- dive head first into it. <laughs> yeah comes up slowly it's a good sequence i just when she gets pulled out and you know they do the close-up on her i mean she is just covered in sand i mean it's on her eyelids it's on her mouth it's all over her face so yeah i that is one i was actually going to say that i was like i I wonder how they did that that sand scene because you know she steps in it and just goes straight down into it and then like gabe said he just (laughs) swan dives into it absolutely (laughs) yeah we need to okay. find that out. Carrie Yules, if you're listening, tell us how you guys did that sand scene. Yeah, oh, and I'm need, sure he is. I'm sure he is. We need to know about that dang sand scene. But, yeah, this whole sequence is really good. And then, of course, that's when they meet the afterwards, when they get out, they meet the king or the prince and then mm-hmm. the six-fingered man. All that's really good. Like you said, Wes, setting up the plot for continuing it on. Yeah. He's a I, – I, I love Chris Sarandon as a bad guy. Like, he just – he just plays it so perfectly. He's good in every bad guy role that I think he's in. Um, I also like the, you know, that is a good setup, but I think when Indigo Montoya tells um, Wesley the story about the six-fingered man and his father while he's waiting on him to get ready for the duel, like, I think that helps set it up, and then this, like, makes yeah, it makes sure. it even better. Mm-hmm. You've got, yeah, you've got Chris Sarandon, who's, like you guys said, a really good bad guy. And then you got Christopher Guest, who is has done tons of great movies. He did all those great improv movies from the nineties and two thousands. And he's just kind of there as a side character. So mm-hmm. that kind of just shows you the depth of the characters and the actors in this movie where you've got Christopher guest as just kind of like the sixth or seventh person on the roll call. So I always really loved his, his character in that. And then he saw um, Halloween and he thought, man, I've that Lori Strode. I'm going to have to marry her. <laughs> And so he winds up marrying Jamie Lee Curtis, which is is kind of a cool little little fun fact yeah, with him sure. too. Yeah, really? I don't know if they. I wonder if they. I don't know when they married, but you're right, was yeah they they got married either in the late eighties or early nineties, I believe. No, I think it was the early early eighties. I'm I'm almost positive. I think it was like she was maybe like eighty four oh. or something like that. It was after her so. big huge initial run as a scream queen. Gotcha. Really? And I don't know if Christopher Guest is super famous by this point. And I, I I think he was on Saturday Night Live, but I could be wrong. 
Should have got my Christopher Guest facts, facts right before this episode. Well, he, <laughs> <laughs> the audience was dependent <laughs> on it, too. <laughs> you seem a decent fellow. I hate to kill you. You seem a decent fellow. I hate to die. Sequence four starts out with we find out that Count Rugen is the six-fingered man that killed Montoya's father. We also find out Rugen has a torture chamber underneath the castle called the Pit of Despair. And he puts Wesley in a suction, suction cup machine to suck away his life. <laughs> meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, Buttercup and Humperdink make arrangements between one another on how to handle the wedding if Wesley does not come back. Although Buttercup remains supremely confident he will. And audience, keep in mind at this particular point, Buttercup is still unaware of Humperdinck's master plan. To maintain appearance leading up to the wedding, Humperdinck beefs up security. He gets rid of troublemakers around the castle. Fezzik learns the six-fingered man lives in the castle. And he informs Montoya, and they decide they need a good planner, like the man in black, to help them. We go back to the pit of despair. Both Count Rugen and Humperdinck are torturing Wesley. Fezzik and Montoya, hearing his screams, come to rescue him, but find him dead. Or mostly dead, I guess she should say. So Wesley's got himself in a bit of a sandlot-type pickle here. What what stands out about sequence four? You know what I've never understood in movies? Like, never challenge the person that's torturing you. They just, like, either don't talk or... I don't know. I just I, I I feel like people would learn from situations. I also it really what what I really like about it is it's a top notch torture room in the bottom in like the trunk of a tree. Like I like how <laughs> like you open that trunk of a tree and then it's like it's gigantic in there. It's a it's a good movie torture room. Um, well, to your point, I mean, people don't learn to not you know mock their torturers. I mean. Look at in Casino Royale, Daniel Craig literally gets his balls bashed in for, you know, a good several minutes because, you know, he just, you know, keeps talking trash to his torturer. So that's yeah. what can happen, gentlemen. Carrie Yules, I mean, just doesn't care. And at first they suck like one year off, then 50. It's like, uh, I wonder which came out first. Was it the suck torture device or the suck and cut from Wayne's World? I don't. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, this was this was first, but yeah, I mean. I mean it, They've paved the way in Wayne's world for somebody to be a millionaire. I don't know why. That was just a movie. But why is the suck cut not real? I know. I get hair all over myself every time I go to the barber. <laughs> like, come out with the sucking cut. Now, this the, back to that suck torture device. Now, that is a ridiculous-looking torture device if I've ever seen <laughs> one. Like, he's got... He's got suckers on his ears, on his nipples. Like, what's going on? Like, what's he sucking out? Is it milk? Blood? I it's his soul. Uh, it's his soul. Oh. No, it's not milk. <laughs> but I do think, I think you make a good point, Gabe, about the ridiculousness of how it looks. But I think that's kind of, you know, the whole purpose of it. Once again, <laughs> they're kind of going for that over-the-top, you know, joking manner of that. It's supposed to look like that, which is really kind of funny. Yeah, I do like it. I don't like his little tiny ponytail. Like, it just grosses me out the whole movie. But I really tell you what I do like is his scream during all this. Like, how they cut to the kingdom. And he's like, yeah. ah! <laughs> Like, no movie does it, like, that good. Yeah, that's the same sequence when they're trying to get where Andre the Giant finds, and you know, Montoya, and they, you know, get back together, reunite, and they're trying to find him, and they hear him from, the, from his uh, yell. 
which is perfect coincidence. So that's a great, you know, great timing right there. I don't know who's the actor. I don't know who he is, but I like him. That's playing the torturer guy. Yeah, it's think, Mel Smith, who's yeah. like a British comedian. Yeah, I feel like yeah. I've seen him in other stuff. Like I don't know what it is, but every time I watch it, I'm like, I feel like I've seen that guy before, but I like him. He's been kind of stuff. a character he, actor, right? Yeah, I think he was more well known for like British TV comedy. Do you guys remember like watching on PBS? They would show like those truly awful '80s British comedies, six o'clock on Saturday. I didn't watch truly awful '80s British British comedies, so I don't think I would have seen him from that. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what they were, but they were pretty. At least they're they're not my type of humor. I'll just say that. He's good in the movie, though. So yeah, he has that weird like mold on his mouth. <laughs> yeah. Are we to scene where he's almost dead, or is that the next scene? No, they find uh, they find him dead right here. But you know, this sequence ends with just them hearing the scream, and then they find him dead. And the shows, like I'm talking about, like, Are You Being Served? I think that was one of them. Oh, I remember that one. I, I didn't watch it, but I I do remember it being on. I do remember that show. Always show those, like, on PBS. Anyway, don't want to get down a, uh, you know, a British TV comedy rabbit hole there. But <laughs> there's a lot to it. And I don't know a lot about it, uh, other than Mel Smith was in some of them. But I did want to talk about, real quick, guys, one thing that we haven't really talked about is this movie, you know, when it was released... It wasn't a huge hit. It it did, I think, make back its money. But I looked. I think it only made around thirty million in nineteen eighty seven, which was not tons of money. Mm-hmm. And but it's one of the how many other movies from the eighties can be considered one of the favorites? Like this is one of the favorites from the eighties. It's just kind of amazing what movies hold up and what movies don't in a way. It- it makes you wonder which ones from our days will hold up. Like, is it is it going to be Nomad Land that people are talking about? I doubt it. No it'll chance. Probably, it'll probably be some. <laughs> I, I'm serious. It'll probably be like some sixty no percent movie, like hell. Princess Bride. Princess Bride has like a sixty percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and it'll probably be no, some. I movie. think it's. I think it's nearly a hundred. It's like way. Yeah, yeah. It's got like a ninety-seven. What what I read is that it did well enough, and critics liked it. It just you know didn't get that fervent fan base like it has now until i think you know throughout the 90s as you were saying wes earlier just about people with their families and that's how i grew up watching it growing up watching it with my family and we would all watch it everybody loved it and so you're all watching it together and watch it with their siblings and parents watch it with their kids it's one of those movies that the whole family can enjoy Mm -hmm. because one of its secret weapons i think is that kind of like fred savage discovers this is it's got a little bit of something for everybody. You know, yeah. it's got yeah. something for the adults with the humor. It's got mm-hmm. something for the kids, whether it's the action, whether it's the romance. Yeah, another thing it does really well is that, you know, you all know when you were a kid, and especially when you got to a certain age, you didn't really want to watch kids' movies anymore as much. You wanted to watch, like, the movie that had the violence or the action or something. And this mm-hmm. movie... pacing. Yeah, while it's not super violent or anything, it's just got enough of it where you're like sucked in at that age too. So it just has such cross-generational appeal. But anyway, long story with that, I just want to kind of get your all's thoughts of why do you think it had such a you know resurgence and kind of created this huge fan base to become one of the most popular movies from the 80s? I think it's, I think it's the dialogue. I think you you already said it, T-Man. I think because it 
because it does have something for everyone. And I think that's why. And it's one of those rare movies that it's like such an innocent film and it is a love story, but it's it's a love story. So, again, that that takes care of uh, predominantly women who enjoy those types of uh, movies. Then you have, you know, the, the, the humor, which everyone appreciates the humor. You've got stuff for the kids. And then. You know, you have stuff for the guys, too, in, in there. So I, th- I think it just it just checks a lot of boxes. I think one of the reasons why it wasn't very successful upon the initial release of the film is because no one in Hollywood wanted to make it, as, aside really from, from Rob Reiner. And I think a couple of people before him tried it, but producers, executives, they wanted nothing to do with it. And Rob Reiner, he told the story. He said that, you know, it was an impossible sell— and the funny thing about it was before he had made Stand By Me, he made Spinal Tap and The Sure Thing. And so he'd made some successful movies, and then he met with an executive at Paramount, and she said, we love your films. You know, what do you want to do next? And Rob was like, well, you don't want to do what I want to do. And she said, no, no, that's not true. I want to do what you want to do. And he said, no, no, you don't want to do what I want to do. And she said, well, what do you want to do? And he said, well, I want to do The Princess Bride. And she goes, well, anything but that. So they didn't want to make it like no one wanted to make it. <laughs> I, and so I don't I think they put totally, a lot behind it. Yeah, I could totally see Rob Ryder say tell him that. Story. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, I mean, I agree with you, Wes, like I, a lot. But I'm telling you, it's the dialogue. I would have never seen. I, I think you guys know my story. I won't tell it. But I didn't see it till I was an adult. And I saw it because so many people were quoting it. And I think like the movie didn't necessarily have legs in the theater because I don't know. I mean, I don't know what happened and why people did but maybe it just didn't stick out that long. But people quoting it over time, people talking about the specific scenes, that's what makes you want to see Princess Bride. It was Justin talking about the R.O.U.S.s that made me want to, I was like, what's an R.O.U.S.? Oh, Rones of Unusual Size, Arg, like that whole part. Like, I had to see it. I was like, oh, I got to see that in film, you know? Or the Sicilian Battle. I think it's the dialogue. Yeah, I think the dialogue definitely has a lot to go to do with it also. You know, I think the dialogue helps it hold up over time because it is so witty. Yeah, it kind of goes to what we're, Wes and I are talking about. With it has that cross generational appeal. One of the reasons is because of the dialogue, and that helps. You know, with adults, so mm-hmm. adults really like it because of the irreverent humor that it has. I think it's just just an interesting thing about the film that it became such a popular movie over time. You know, it's kind of like, uh, what's a movie that's comparable to it? It's almost like The Big Lebowski. You know, The Big Lebowski also wasn't a huge hit. But mm-hmm. it just it kind of became such a cult movie. But I don't think Princess Bride or The Big Lebowski are even cult movies anymore. They're they're beyond cult hits. Mm-hmm. You know, they're There's classics. Yeah, they're just in the classic realm of all-time fan favorites. You know, just one of those type movies. You know, it's such a fan favorite that... When I read that when there were some rumblings, I don't know who was doing the rumbling, somebody. When there were some rumblings that they, there may be a remake of A Princess Bride, I think this was a couple of years ago, uh, a lot of people were not happy with it. Even Jamie Lee Curtis West, uh, I read this, <laughs> said something either through social media or an interview or something that was like, there is only one Princess Bride, and that is this one. Mm-hmm. She should have said, inconceivable. <laughs> I'm sure that would have been better. I'm sure that's awesome. <laughs> that would have been way better. 
and I, I don't I don't think that we really have movies uh, like that right now. I, I, I can't see. There's not no. too many of the ones that have been out the past five years that I think are going to stand the test of time at all. But uh, there might there might be there might be a couple in there that we we've never seen. That's just well, some little little side project that people are going to latch on to. Yeah, I think it's always the ones that you just don't expect, honestly, though, too. You know, nobody would have expected this movie because, like you said, what you know, Rob Reiner couldn't – nobody in Hollywood wanted to make it because I think from what I, I understand, they just didn't know how to make it. They didn't mm-hmm. know, think it could be a good movie. And I think that kind of goes to the point of it being released. They didn't know how to market it either. It's just such a unique movie. But to our point about today's movies, I just don't think we know – what could become one of these huge fan favorites because some of, it's got to be a natural organic growth. Mm-hmm. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Stop saying that! All right, so we start back at the framing story and Kevin Arnold is upset that Wesley is dead. So Grandpa Columbo settles him down and begins reading the story again. So it picks up where Fezzik and Montoya take Wesley's mostly dead body to Miracle Max, played by Billy Crystal. He creates a miracle pill to revive him. So Fezzik and Montoya take his body to the castle, giving the pill, and it brings him back from the dead, but he's kind of paralyzed. He can't move. It's a delayed process of him being able to come back. So we basically have this weekend at Bernie's situation going on. So the three plan their attack to rescue the princess. Meanwhile, inside the castle, the wedding is about to start between Buttercup and Humperdinck. So Wesley, Fezzik, and Montoya, they start storming the castle. They're battling guards. And finally, Montoya encounters Rugen, the six-fingered man that killed his father. And this is where he says the famous line, my name is Ingo Montoya. You killed my father prepare to die and Rugen runs away and so that's where we'll end sequence five and the next one we'll pick up with the climax and ending of the film so a lot going on here definitely left left out some details that you guys are are free to fill in but is there anything that stands out about them reviving Wesley and then starting their raid on the castle to rescue the princess I think this has the most things that I love in it like, obviously, my name is Ingo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And I think it's in Dingo Montoya. I don't know. I feel like none of us are saying that right. T-Man, do you know how to say it? Is it Indigo or Ingo? I think it's Indigo. I, I don't know. Let's just say this is a a, a, a safe space for uh, misspelling or mispronouncing names. We know we're doing <laughs> it. We can't help it. We're trying our best. <laughs> and we've done it since the podcast's inception. So, exactly. and we're not getting any better with it. We're not getting any better. Maybe worse. So, <laughs> if we misspell it or mispronounce it, not on purpose. Uh, we're trying our best. Indigo Montoya <laughs> is going to kill us all left-handed, um, man. But I, uh, I love the whole Miracle Max scene. Like, I think that that's the funniest part of the movie. And in the my research, I, I've, <laughs> yeah. I've read that. For three straight days, 10 hours a day, Billy uh, Crystal did Im- like improv 13th century jokes, never saying the same same line twice. And uh, but uh, for, unfortunately, like a lot of it was like inappropriate for like the movie. 
so they didn't get put in there. But all the people like on the on the set said it was just like hilarious. Like that wasn't even his best stuff. And I'm kind of sad we didn't get to see it because I mean, if this isn't even his best stuff, true love is the greatest thing in the world, except for a good MLT mutton, lettuce and tomato, especially when the mutton is nice and lean and the tomatoes are right. Like if that's not his best stuff or what do you do? What if you get, do? What do you do if a guy's all the way dead, go through his clothes and look for loose change? I mean, just everything that he says is hilarious. Give me it's a paper com- cut and pour lemon com- juice on it. I don't know. Like, I don't know how he could have said funnier stuff that isn't recorded. And I want those cuts. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Billy Crystal's on fire in this sequence. And, yeah, it's, it's amazing. If this wasn't his best stuff, I would love to see what that other you know, material was. But this sequence just is so great. I love the makeup. Once again, you know, it, it looks fake, but it's not like bad fake. It's kind of like endearingly fake, which I like. Yeah. And, and then he's just bringing in Billy Crystal's, you know, 1980s uh, humor, you know, very off the cuff, irreverent humor into this 13th century setting, which shouldn't work, but it just does. It's just hilarious. I've seen worse. He's only mostly dead. Like, I just. <laughs> <laughs> it's just mostly dead. I love. It. Then at the end, he's like, "Have fun storming the castle," which is another <laughs> another super famous quote. <laughs> he was such a big star at this time, too. I mean, that was such a great cameo to pull. Yeah, it it really is. And then it and it goes from like everything you're holding on to everything he says or Billy Crystal says. To when they're storming the castle and they're up on that like ledge, then everything Andre the Giant says, like I think it's wonderful. The when he's like when Wesley's completely limp and he goes, "You just wiggled your finger. That's wonderful." And it's like, <laughs> I can't yeah. say it like oh. him. Everything Andre the Giant says, like up there, is just hilarious. Like I crack up at. He's just so innocent, and it's this gigantic yeah. man that's acting like that. I think is what makes it so humorous. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Is he just has that innocent way of, of reacting. But I think, you know, rewatching that sequence, it's just such an interesting way to do a finale. And that's why, once again, I know we've talked about this, you know, the whole purpose of this book or one of the purposes is, you know, taking these type of fairy tales and kind of making it fun, putting it. Well, I would say like putting it on its head, like flipping it around, making, you know, taking what you expect and making it totally unexpected. And so this ending where you're supposed to have the hero come and save the day, instead, he can't move. So he's having <laughs> to carry around. You know, his, his body's basically lifeless. Like you said, Wes, a Weekend in Bernie's type situation. And so I just love that. It it just works so well for this whole plot with those guys. You got the, you know, the giant. Uh, you got the drunk. You got the guy who can't move anymore and they're they're coming to save the day at the end and it's just so such unlikely heroes (laughs) exactly yes you're like that's why they're even commenting they're like there's no way we can we can do this but they do i like it because i i I think you're right i think i've never really thought of that i was more so like the whole time i was watching i was like this is the this movie's like the king of the plot twist like he's dead nope he's almost dead i'm left-handed nope i'm not left-handed it's in one glass. Nope, it's in both glasses. You know, the, the right, arcane right. powder. I always thought it was kind of like the king of the plot twist, but I think you're more right. It's it's the king of like flipping it on uh, the traditional fairy tale on its head. Yeah, I, I think do. that's kind of what William Goldman's 
whole kind of purpose of it was was you know like that like we were saying the fractured fairy tale type is where you're kind of like instead of doing what you expect do the unexpected while at the same time being funny and humorous and you know paying homage to that type of character i do like them carrying wesley in and using the andre the giant as a giant flame (laughs) scarecrow thing yes and then just i love the little it's just a throwaway sequence where but you know like you said the six finger man runs away and i know we're not there yet but he runs away and he gets into that room and um, Antonio's trying to get in, but he can't. And then Andre just comes and just knocks it down. Yeah, he bonks it. <laughs> just, just a little sequence like that just goes, just goes to how good this movie is. Mm-hmm. I would say one thing we haven't talked uh, much about either is uh, Robin Wright Penn, who marriages. I, I think this is her, maybe her first movie, one of her first movies. Yeah, the and, credits at the beginning say introducing. Yeah, so I was, it, yeah, it that's how be. Who's Robin Wright Penn? Is she Buttercup? Yeah, she's Buttercup. Of course, she has has had a long, really good career in Hollywood. Was in Forrest Gump, was in House of Cards on Netflix, tons mm-hmm. of movies, etc. Still going strong. And I, I believe, from what I read, I think they saw a lot of actors for that role. They just cast her just because of you know the look and all of that. But I, I definitely think she adds, you know, a lot to the role. Just kind of her innocence. I think she plays that really well, which is kind of the purpose of that character. Apparently, she bombed in her initial audition for the role. It was her look in their eyes was just like she just looked like the character the way that that Rob Reiner envisioned it. So they brought her back again, and I believe her stepfather was British. And they asked her to read her lines with a British accent. And whenever she did, she nailed the part. That's exactly what they were looking for. So the first time she auditioned, she auditioned speaking just, you know, the way Americans speak. And I don't know if she was nervous or what, but she she bombed it. So I thought that was kind of kind of a cool thing, too, because, you know, if she hadn't have known how to do an English accent because of her stepfather, we may to this day not know who Robin Wright is. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. And, 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 you know, she's had, I don't know if she's had the best career of anybody in the main cast, but she's had at least as good as anybody. And so it's mm-hmm. pretty cool that she was, this is kind of her first role, her first breakout role. And then, of course, all the others that we've talked about, you know, Carrie Yules, he's had a long career in Hollywood. He's done a lot of different things. Mandy Pinkin, of course, mm-hmm. has done tons of, I think he was on TV for tons of years on Homeland, all sorts of stuff. So and really, Dick Tracy. And, and he's in Dick Tracy. Apex right there. That's his apex. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but yeah, she is she is just so beautiful in this movie. Like her her eyes are just so piercing and she's just so fresh faced. And uh, I when think I went she's back prettier and watched now movie, than she is then. Like and I've always I, I don't know, am I the only one? Like I think she aged well, I think better. She, I don't want to get into dangerous territory here, but I definitely think she is aged like very well for, mm-hmm. for anybody. Yeah, yes. I, I'm not yes, going to get in danger. Okay, let, let's be careful. The other thing that really always <laughs> irked me, but it's about... I'm starting to get a little nervous. So. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I wasn't going to go too far, but um, Princess Buttercup. Like, I just never saw that as a princess name, but I think it's about flipping it. It's on its head, like you were saying, but Buttercup. It does sound like a Mario character. I feel yeah, like that's... Exactly. Like, Buttercup reminds thinks, makes me think of, like, what I would name my horse. Yeah, all the names are, are kind of ridiculous, really. It's, it's really funny that way. Yeah, that's true. Except for uh, the the pirate, yeah, Dread Pirate Robert is awesome. 
Well, I'm saying uh, not his name, like his real name. What would y'all say Ryan. it was? It Ryan. Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> Fezzik has a great name. I don't care who you are. Fezzik is the perfect that's, giant that's name. That's a good name. That's a great giant name, exactly. There's a shortage of perfect breasts in this world. It would be a pity to damage yours. Well, I think we've got one sequence to go, and we'll get this thing wrapped up. So, um, Prince Humperdinck is now aware of the raid on the castle, so he rushes the wedding, and Buttercup is then taken to the honeymoon suite, where she informs the king she'll be killing herself. And I believe he responds with something, oh, that'll be nice. Meanwhile, Montoya is chasing Rugen through the castle. Rugen injures himself, or injures him, but... Eventually, Montoya is able able to kill Rugen. Back at the honeymoon suite, Buttercup is about to kill herself, and she hears, there's a shortage of perfect breasts in the world. Would be a pity to damage yours. <laughs> and she turns around to find Wesley just laying in bed. That's such a ridiculous lie. <laughs> it's, it's so, it's, so great. Such a princess bride lie, yeah. It's just hilarious, and I love how he's just laying there, just like motionless in the bed. It's just like he—it's like he just appeared there. So, I love his whole facial expressions when he's motionless there. But anyway, go ahead. She runs over and throws herself into his arms. Humperdinck then enters, where eventually Montoya and Wesley leave him tied to a chair, left alive to deal with his cowardice. Fezzik, Montoya, Buttercup. And Wesley then ride off on four white horses. We end the movie with the framing story. The the grandson loves the book and asks Grandpa to come back tomorrow and read it again. Grandpa replies, as you wish. End of movie. Perfect way to end it. Agreed. Man, all movies should end with people riding off on white horses. Fantastic. (laughs) Amazing. No, this is a great, great, great end sequence, great finale. You know, it doesn't end, what I like about it, it doesn't end like with some huge battle or anything, but it ends with, you know, them meeting, you know, Wesley on the bed, can't move, but he tells the prince about the pain, which is always really, really funny for how he describes it, you know, just knowing what's going to come, that he's going to stand up and kind of get his last energy for it. So I've always really loved that end sequence. I don't know. Like, I was sitting here thinking about it. What is more iconic? The marriage is by the priest or <laughs> inconceivable? Um, like, marriage is pretty pretty popular, for sure. Marriage is. Like, I feel like that that's like a meme, like, right now that you can send out. I don't know. They're both pretty iconic. And you said, T-Man, that there was no, like, big uh, battle. But I think that, I mean, I tear up when Indigo Montoya is like, when he says it like five times, my name's Indigo Montoya, yeah. you killed my father, prepare to die. And then he does it again and says it again. And then he, I, I get pumped up. I get more pumped up than I do in Rocky Four. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree, Gabe. That's a good point. You know, that, that, that duel where he finally, you know, avenges his father and he's like, I want my father back. It's, it's emotional. I teared up again. And he does say that. He, he says, yeah. I want my father back, you son of a bitch. And then it's like, because yeah. he's like, he, he's like, tell me you can give me whatever I want. And then that's when he says, I want my father back and then stabs him and kills him. I mean, it's a good point to, to bring up, you know, one, I don't think we've actually really talked about it much is that, you know, his character, Montoya, in a lot of ways is like the heart and soul of the movie. It's mm-hmm. the best part. 
Yeah, I think he's he's my favorite character in the movie. He's got the best arc. He's got a lot of the best lines. It's just the acting is so good. Everything about the performance is just amazing, like A-plus level. And like you said, Gay, that last sequence of him avenging his father, actually, you know, is emotional even. For a movie that's a comedy, comedy romance adventure, you even tear up at the end, which is pretty cool. That's a, I mean, that's the climax for me. He's just so likable. I mean, he even lets Wesley climb up the rope. I mean, it's just, he's so likable throughout the whole movie. You can't root, not root for him. Yeah. I mean, Mandy, Mandy Pinkin, who, you know, is kind of a method actor from what I understand about his acting. And I haven't seen him in a ton of other stuff. I know he's been on TV for tons of years, but I'll always love him as an actor just for this role. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of like, not many actors can say that, that, you know, they have just one such an iconic role that mm-hmm. people just love him just for that role. Yeah. And this was his favorite role. He said it in an interview that uh, this was his all-time favorite favorite role to play oh, and his favorite cool. character that he's done. That's pretty cool. I can see it. Yeah, I mean, it's just such a great performance, great role. I'm sure it's one of those roles that, like, every actor would want. Mm-hmm. That This is what they act. This is what they go to become, you know, such a, a iconic performance. In a lot of ways. Well, they're all the actors say that, you know, to this day that they'll run into fans and they're always, you know, quoting the lines at them and stuff like that. And you, you, I think people's initial reaction is, man, that would get so old or I'd get tired of that or or whatever. But all the actors seem to just enjoy that they were part of something that is iconic and something that is so classic because there's not a lot of these types of films. Right. And, you know, it's just by luck. I mean, obviously, a lot of hard work goes into it, but a lot of people work hard at, at stuff that turns out to be just crap or forgettable. And it just there's a lot of luck involved as well to be able to make something like this stand the test of time. And I'm glad that they appreciated their kind of time in the sun, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, you want not many movies can have this type of lasting uh, impact on people. And to have the actors and people who are part of it really embrace that also is great. We, we, we as fans, at least me personally, you know, for something that I love like this, I want the people who created it to be a part of it and to also love it. You know, you don't want them to, to be shunning it or be like, ah, oh, you know, uh, I'm ashamed to be or whatever. You want them to be as much a part of it as you are. So it's always mm-hmm. great when, you know, like you said, Wes, the actors are, are also really embracing it. That's really cool. They picked the perfect cast. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, like, I mean, we've talked about each individual person, like, you know, it, it, down to even Andre the Giant. They just really had the it's lightning in a bottle type cast. Like, it's just one of those really good yeah, ones. Absolutely. Even think about it. Like at the end when Carrie Yules is trapped in the bed and he's like and he's given that speech. No, we'll fight to the pain. And what is the pain? The pain you warthog faced buffoon. He's like talk, like going through it and whatever he says. I forget. I don't even know what he says, but he like explains. He's like just trying to frighten him while laying there because he's limp. It's just the right person to deliver that. Carrie Gules was the right person. I, I don't know. Yeah, great cast. So the final thing I want to mention, I got two, two final things, actually. First is, so Gabe, I know one reason you or Wes, I think both of you guys mentioned one reason we want to do it was for Valentine's Day, which is coming up. So do you all think this is a great, you know, date movie, that type of thing? I think it is. I think it's the type of movie that 
both men and women can really enjoy. And, and also have a thing, you know, if you're dating somebody and they don't like Princess Bride, then you may need to be like, well, what's going on here? That's a red flag. That's that is a red, a red flag. flag. That's oh, not, that's not even a red that. flag for dating. That's a red flag for being a human. For, like, for life, right? Yeah, yeah. like <laughs> if somebody doesn't like Princess Bride, like you may need to stay away from them at work. That's a good point. I'm going to start bringing that up for good people I meet, no matter who it is. Hey, you like Princess Bride? If, if they don't, there is something. I agree. I mean, it doesn't have to be their favorite movie in the world, but they have to at least like it. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be alone in a room with somebody that doesn't like Princess Bride. Yeah, agreed. And then the final thing I want to say, guys, is you know what I think we really need to bring back is the end credit montage of <laughs> yes. showing the picture of the actor, like smiling and doing stuff. Don't you? Guys I love that? it. That was always a thing in the 80s. In, in 90s, too, they did that some. Yeah, where did that early, go? Early 90s. Yeah, early 90s, I would say. It was kind of like an 80s, early 90s thing, right? Mm-hmm. Because we've got, we've got rid of all the good stuff. <laughs> it's because they've got to show that they got to show a credit for that one guy that drew a picture in the corner of the screen. It's like that one guy that did a logo for our podcast like five years ago. By the way, thank you again, Matt. <laughs> thank you for that logo. Don't want to belittle that in any way, shape, form, or fashion. But yeah, I agree, team. man. they need to bring that back. We wow. need to do that for our show. Like <laughs> after every show. Even though we don't do video, I mean, we could just we could put this on YouTube of nothing but audio, and then at the end just do that. Just us. I'm 100 percent down for that. I love it. 100. <laughs> I just miss that like of those sequences. Sometimes they're my favorite was this. They they had two different things they would do. These movies they would either do like shots from the actual movie, like they did in this one, where it's like kind of little sequences. But then some movies would do like new shots so if you guys remember predator mm -hmm. remember predator they're like new shots they're not in the movie but they just kind of film these i, I like both ways uh, either way i'm good with well, i can't follow that up those are two i got it, i got it i got it i really like how these multiverses are connected like fred savage follow me is in princess bride and he doesn't like kissing scenes but this universe is getting ready to connect to Wonder Years, where he really does like kissing scenes. And so so Princess Bride made him appreciate kissing scenes so much so like his whole goal in Wonder Years is to just kiss that one girl. What's her name? Winnie. Well, it was Winnie. Winnie. Yeah. But I still you should have said this before, T Man. You're not following that up very well. Yeah, I know. I, that's all I had. I it was really crappy, honestly. I had nothing else. Like, I gave it all. I have no more notes. We're at the end of the podcast. We're all just grasping for straw, you know. Anything. I, I gave it the best I had, See, Wes. This is where it'd be really good if we had that end sequence. We could just Yeah, and then we could just yeah. cut. You could cut right yeah. now. Because then and, people and then are play, like, yeah. oh, man, these guys really don't have anything right now. But then if you go to that end sequence, they're like, oh, man, all right, this is good again. But oh, they did have something. Look at this. <laughs> yeah, look at that. Heck yeah. That's our next project we're gonna work on. End sequence montage. Well, anything else that you guys want to say about uh, Princess Bride that we haven't said thus far? Gabe, you go ahead, man. Your episode. What do you think overall? I feel like we did it justice. I love this movie. I, I didn't see it till an older age and I loved it then and I've seen it probably eight or nine times. So I'm I hope we did it justice. Love the movie. 
hope I can watch it at least 20 times more in the next like five or six years. And it's one of those movies that you can do that with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think we did. I think we had a lot of good points to make about the movie. Like you said, Gabe, I, I love The Princess Bride, one of my all-time favorite films. Just a movie I can just rewatch over and over again. It just has such high replayability. And I'm just so glad that new people are finding it, new fans, new audiences. I know it's on Disney, so I know that new people are finding it every day. I think it's the type of movie that's going to hold up well um, for a long time, which mm-hmm. is pretty no, well said. And I, I'll just say that this isn't one that I, I grew up with watching all the time. I only remember seeing, you know, bits and pieces here and there. And I kind of was familiar with it. And I was a huge Fred Savage fan. Uh, Wonder Years is one of my all-time favorite show. And just, I really like him. And uh, so I, I was aware of it and seen seen little bits of it here and there. And I really began to appreciate this movie when I was my late teens and had really sat down and watched it. And just over the years, it's just, it's just grown. Uh, and I can't wait to sit down with Liam one day and get to show him this exactly like what grandpa's doing with, with grandson in the movie. So, uh, love princess bride. Go, go ahead. I was going to say, put that TikTok down, kid. Let's watch princess bride. Right, right. Well, and now it, we'll have to watch over like 10 days because they can only watch like five minutes of something before they have to switch it. But uh, we'll eventually right. get through it. We'll get there. You'll get You're going to be that guy that ruins his day of peaceful Nintendo playing. Yep. Except for Somebody, really his him like dancing and then sending it to his friends. Yeah, probably. Kids, Kids these childhood are, are just ruined. I mean, they don't have Ninja Turtles or G.I. Joe's. I mean, they don't have Judge Princess Armstrong. Bride. They got TikTok and eating Tide Pods, you know, that kind of stuff that they do. <laughs> we need a new web. We need a new What's podcast. that thing, grumpy old man? What? We got TikTok and eating Tide Pods. Wes is talking about younger generations. I'm having Tide Pods. I'm 40 and I'm grumpy. Got this old podcast. So grumpy. That's our new spit off podcast. We'll need a better name for it. We got the gist of it. That's just a little teaser for everybody that's still listening. A little teaser. Oh, man. I can't wait for my, you know, five listeners on that podcast. Oh, man. <laughs> they just eat their Tide Pods. Oh, yeah. That was a great... I know it had nothing to do with Princess Bride, but that was a great way to end the episode. Yeah, agreed. On that note, I guess I'll, I'll I'll run everybody through the usual spill and we can uh, truly wrap this thing up. So great choice for an episode, Gabe. A lot of fun to be on. And audience, of course, we, we hope we did it justice to echo Gabe's thoughts earlier of our coverage of The Princess Bride. So if you want to support our efforts here at Real Talk, big thing you can do is, of course, wherever you listen to Real Talk, there's typically going to be a way to rate our podcast obviously five stars would be really cool or a thumbs up or a subscribe whatever the situation is and on some you can leave a review if you would be so kind it costs you nothing just a few seconds of your time if you would type out a little mini review and submit that on whatever podcast platform you're on another thing we'd love for you to do come join us on social media we'd love if you'd come join our facebook group where that's where we really interact with people the most However, 
Uh, we are over on Twitter as well. We're at real underscore cast. That's R E E L. We have an Instagram page, official real talk uh, podcast. And then I mentioned that Facebook group, just type in real talk, a movie podcast. You'll find us. And uh, we got to mention that email. It is real talk movie cast at gmail.com. We always want to thank Matt Holland. Don't even know what it's for these days. We'll just throw that out there that we thank him. And for us, that's a wrap.